You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. It's live from the table, the official podcast of the world-famous comedy seller on Raw Dog, Sirius XM 99. I'm Dan Natterman, your host. Noam is, I think, in Maine. I think he's in Maine. I believe so. Um, so, once again, I'm uh, flying solo along with, well, not to- totally solo, because I have with me our producer, uh, Periel Ashenbrand. How do you do, Periel? I'm good. And I'm- w- Yeah, go ahead. You had something to say? Well, I spoke to Noam briefly, and he texted me back a picture of himself, well, of his feet on the beach in sneakers. All right. Well, is that odd? Well, I mean, I think it's a little bit odd. Why do you have sneakers on if you're at the beach? Well, that's a good point. But I don't want to get bogged down to sneakers and beaches and all that. We have uh, many other things to discuss. Uh, we're waiting on Noor Tajuri, who is going to be joining us. I just got back, by the way, from Las Vegas, Nevada, the Comedy Cellar Vegas. I was there for a week. Um, I still don't understand how they build an entire city on gambling, how people love it that much. Well, they, they're addicted but, but to a people, it. But pe- people are, apparently. Well, they're addicted to it, right? Well, I don't know. Some people are addicted. Some people just enjoy it. Uh, and, and, and it wouldn't necessarily be an addiction. But it's just amazing to me that an entire city is built on something that... To me, is not that interesting, but I mean, it's not interesting at all to me either. But I do think that they're preying on um, people's weak- well, weaknesses in that city, right? It's also it's prostitution and strip clubs. Well, no, prostitution is not technically legal there, though. There's a lot of it going on. There's, it's legal outside of Vegas. It's legal. No, it's legal in uh, certain counties. I think in the Reno area. I don't believe it's legal in the Vegas area, but uh, there's a lot of it. Going on, I think I think you're right. Though I think it does prey, at least to some for some people are in the, in that category that it's an addiction. Um, in any case, it's it's good for me because it allows uh, the comedy seller to exist out there. And well, I'm interested. Giving me another venue to play at. Is it different than like what's the crowd like there? Um, the crowd is probably a little bit less comedy savvy. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Like who? Who's going to see comedy uh, shows? So it's a lot of locals. Okay. A lot of people that live in Vegas. That a lot of people that come back because they enjoy the Comedy Cellar. Uh, they come back again and again, and they like the real because there's free parking. That's a big selling point for the. For really? The, yeah, that's a big selling point for the locals. Oddly enough. Um, and it's off the strip, and they just don't like going to the strip because it's crowded and awful. And so, it's, so it's a lot of locals. It's, but it's not brilliant. It's accidental. Once again, Noam's trips and falls <laughs> into success, as he does so often. Uh, but he had no idea that that was going to be what it was. He just that was the hotel that offered him the deal. Uh huh. And um, it just so happens that it, there's it's off the strip and there's free parking, and it, ha- it so happens that that appeals to the locals. So you're getting a lot of locals there, and then there's also, of course, people that, that are tourists um, that come from everywhere. A lot of Can- there's always a few Canadians at every show. For some reason, Do there the was Cana- Australians. Are the Canadians particularly fond of you? I wouldn't say that, but I, I get a lot of mileage out of the Canadians because I have jokes about Canada. Right. And so if you have jokes about Canada, and there's Canadians in the audience, it's all the more potent. And you were there with Dove, is that right? I was there with Dove, Pete Lee... 
uh, and Aida Rodriguez, and both Pete and uh, Aida, or Ida, I'm not, I always say Aida because that's I the opera, but I think it's Ida. I think it's Ida. They made a killing selling t-shirts after the show. Well, I was, we were just talking about this, and I was telling you that with such little effort, you could do the same thing, especially because I'd probably be doing most of the work for you. How would you be doing most of You're well, not going like, to stand there and sell the shirts after the show. No, but I would, for, I would design them, and I would help you get them made. And um, I would stand there it's if you just wanted me to. That, well, you can't because you'd have to go to Vegas just to stand there and sell T-shirts, which I don't think you're going to do, or wherever I'm performing. But um, the, the point is... I feel like people would love those shirts. Well, I would like to... If I'm going to sell T-shirts, it would have to be good quality, a Obviously. nice quality cotton blend. Uh, what would they say? Blend. Well, that's the... That, I was thinking they shouldn't say anything, just a nice T-shirt. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Good quality cotton. They're, I don't know what they would say, but I do have a hard time standing there and selling T-shirts. It just seems so undignified to me. And I could not disagree more strongly. I mean, I'm selling some crap that nobody needs. I mean, the Rolling Stones are making millions of dollars on top of what they're making every year selling merch. I mean, it's an entire Well, they're not standing there themselves and selling it. That's point one. So if you personally point didn't two, have to do it, you'd is, be more amenable? Point two is people, there's, there's a utility to a Rolling Stones shirt. The Rolling, I mean, you got the Rolling Stones, it's cool. You got that tongue or whatever. Well, we I would don't make know. you, people, make but you a logo. But there's nothing cool about some dumb comedian on a, on a T-shirt. Or yeah. some so slow. A lot of comedians, they'll just put a piece of their act on the shirt. Like... That has no meaning to anybody else. So you'll be walking down the street. It'll say a piece of my act, like you know, uh, what's what's one of my jokes? Uh, uh, You'd never seen me, actually. Um, <laughs> Which is criminal. It, you know, it would say like, "Go to the end of the block and turn gay." <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the punchline of one of my jokes. And then, it, so people would look at it like, "Why is that interesting?" Anyway, I, I think I, people are buying it. Because I don't know why they're buying these shirts. They want to because support the comedian. Because they like they want the comedian. And they want to talk to the comedian. You're selling your time on some level because they get to come talk to you after but the show. But what's wrong with that? Seems whorish to me. Well, yeah, you're in show business. Point taken. Point taken, but I, I don't know. And I, I realize I'm, leave, like I'm, leaving, I'm leaving money on the sidewalk. You are. You're leaving money doing. on the sidewalk. Also, side another walk. issue is you've got to carry those T-shirts with you everywhere. Pete Lee had this huge... You know, a uh, bag of shirts he probably had to carry on on the. Oh, yeah, he probably had to put it on carry on. I hate. I mean, he probably had to uh, check the bag. So what? I hate checking bags. Oh please, I would like to hear from um, our listeners. I'll bet there's not an insignificant number of people who would love a Dan Natterman shirt, myself included. In fact, I'll tell you this: I was wearing a, one of Gilbert's shirts. Gilbert Gottfried shirts, and I went to go pick up my uh, son's passport, and the guard, who was this like dude in his seventies, was like, "Oh, that's the coolest shirt! I love Gilbert Gottfried." Well, Gilbert's it, more like, of a known entity, but well, uh, maybe that's because in part because he has T-shirts. You get other people doing branding for you. You're getting other people well, to do marketing I'll put that on your on behalf. My ever-growing list of things to consider that. May or may not ever get considered, but I'll put it on the list. Okay. Uh, we're, we're waiting. I mean, she's a little bit late, I guess. Nor Tajuri. Well, she's more than a little bit late. But Nor Tajuri, just to whet the appetite of our listeners. I think it's it, Taguri. Well, I believe it's Tajuri, but it might be Taguri. In any case, she's a journalist and public speaker uh, 
and um, she wears a hijab, and she's I think the only uh, the only anchor. She she does uh, she's been an I don't know if she's an anchor person. No, she's on Newsy, right? Um, but she was on I think. Um, a, a local news broadcast as She's well. She's a journalist and public speaker, and her goal is to shift perceptions. Perceptions of Muslim Americans, I, I suppose gather. so. Muslim women. Because she wears a hijab. Says that as a speaker, her focus, she focuses on breaking barriers through storytelling and building bridges of commonality. Well, that we certainly need bridges of commonality, and she'll be joining us soon. She is a little bit late. We are recording this on July 3rd, so there's a lot of holiday traffic coming into the city for the uh, Independence And apparently Day. Port Authority was completely shut down. I don't know anything about that. I also heard there was a truck overturned. That's why they shut down Port Authority. Somebody flew over the overpass, and there was like an 18-car pileup. What do you mean somebody flew? You mean a The car, car flipped oh, over oh. the overpass. And I'm sure I bastardized that story to some degree. But the point is, is that Port Authority was shut down and it's July 3rd. So happy belated. When this airs, it'll be post-Independence Day. But uh, happy belated. What are you planning for tomorrow, Perial Ashen Brand? I will be as far away from the fireworks as I can be. I hate fireworks. Well, I liked them when I was young, but it's getting... Uh, now it's been... This will be my, my 49th, 4th of July... Uh, it's getting old, does these fireworks? I feel like it's a luxury that only um, certain countries can take to not. I, I I feel like it's like really traumatizing to hear those noises. Like it's very reminiscent of, of war and bombs. And so, and I think it's a complete waste of money, frankly. And it's kind of obscene. I don't think it's a waste of money to celebrate America. We waste our money on a lot dumber shit. Well, we shouldn't do that either. How, how so many millions should, of dollars do we spend on fireworks? People, it gives people joy. Well, I All mean, right, and, cocaine and, gives people joy, too. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> not, Noam's not here, so I had to be the one to call you ridiculous. That's fine. It, 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 no, well, cocaine is... is I'm not going to get into that, but it's... Uh, I, I don't know why you're comparing cocaine to a healthy and uh, a family-friendly uh, event such as fireworks. It gives is people it pleasure. Friendly? Of course it is. Little kids love it. And, uh, and celebrates America. And I think America needs celebrating right now because a lot of people are turning on America. R recently, well, we, we're going to discuss this later, but since Nora's not here, you know uh, uh, the, the uh, sneaker uh, yes, controversy. The Betsy Ross. With the Betsy Ross flag on yeah. the back of the Nikes. Now, yeah. you're, you're, so just for those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, Nike was going to put out a sneaker with the Betsy Ross flag. That's the circular 13 stars in the field of blue. Uh, as opposed to the 50 we have now. In any case, Nike was going to put out a shoe with that on the back, and Colin Kaepernick said you shouldn't do that because, uh, number one, it's a symbol of an era in American history in which slavery was legal. Number two, it's been used by hate groups as their symbol, by certain hate groups. I don't know which hate groups he's referring to, but apparently certain hate groups are using this as a symbol uh, of, their, of their group. You and think so that that's not a legit point, though. I think we shouldn't allow hate groups to decide which symbols we as Americans are allowed to use. What if they start using the another cherished symbol, the Statue of Liberty? Well, what, they start using that as their symbol. Well, well yeah, I then think we're not that supposed when, but, to. No, but when those symbols get co-opted, like you have well, to pay we, attention why, to that. Well, but we're allowing these groups to define which American symbols we can use. 
The fact is, is it was assembled long before it was co-opted by whatever hate group supposedly co-opted it. But it was celebrating a point in time where slavery was le- slavery it, was legal. Um, it, it, it's it's well. So are we supposed? So so the Declaration of Independence was also written at a time when slavery was legal. You know, we're, yeah, we would but have that's to a dump, little bit different. We would have to dump the founding fathers. We'd have to dump all of our early history. I don't think you have to dump our history, but I think it's different dumping our history or putting something that's symbolic, potentially, of celebrating slavery um, on a a shoe to celebrate it. Well, it's celebrating... Early American history, which ha- there were happened to be—is this—is this, is this uh, Nora? There she is, thankfully, because I have nothing more to say about the damn flag. I mean, can't so we- this is just in time. Well, we'll talk about yeah. it maybe with Nora because she might have an interesting perspective okay, on it. Okay, I'll be right back. Okay, uh, Periel is uh, is um, welcoming Nora Tajuri, and uh, she's here with a gentleman whose uh, identity uh, is as yet to be determined. Okay. Um, I suppose um, our, our editor can cut this part out where I'm not saying anything. She is now asking them for sparkling water or if they want water. Hello, we've already started. How do you do? Yes, I know. I'm Dan. And this is Adam. We have started because we just had some stuff to talk about. That about. No, it's not live at all. But we just wanted to get in some quick discussion about uh, the... the um, um, Vegas room. I just got back from Vegas. Oh, cool. And we, the Comedy Cellar has a room in Vegas. So I thought it might be interesting to discuss that briefly. Uh, I know that. Yes. Uh, uh, it, it, you may or may not here, have any... Oh, do you? Okay. Is this your manager? This is my manager and slash husband. Oh, manager slash husband. Okay. Well, um, people do that. Anywhere you wish. So, Nord Tajuri, is it? Ooh, With the je? Right? Nor Tajuri, she's wearing that. Right. She's, by the way, she's wearing one of those, uh, I think it's called a Hamza. Yeah. Around her neck, it's one of those upside down hands. That is a symbol of, uh, I've, I've seen Jews, Jewish people wear that as well, but yeah. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what it symbolizes. Well, so, I, so it, I think it's actually of Jewish origin, um, but I think it's also like very just popular in Arab culture yeah. and Moroccan. And so my husband's grandmother is Moroccan and when we got engaged, it was like a tradition to put a piece of gold on me. And so this was the necklace, and I've like never taken it off. That's so nice. I think it's supposed to ward off the evil eye. Periel yeah, yeah. never takes off those necklaces, those uh, earrings, rather, uh, that say Periel on them. I, I've never seen her without them. <laughs> I gather she. Oh, this t- is my favorite water. It oh, would, good. That's, um, <clears throat> what kind of water is that? Aquapana. It's, it's Italian. Oh, okay. It's like an, it, but 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 water in Italy is actually like just phenomenal. And the first time I had this water consciously was earlier this year in Italy, and I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And so now we order like boxes <laughs> to our house. Well, I'm a Poland Spring guy, but to each to his own. Let's uh, let's introduce Nord to our listeners who may or may not be familiar with her. We did discuss we did uh, discuss you briefly when we were waiting for you. Oh, um, but you are a 25... First of all, she looks so young. I mean, I, on video, she looks older. It's because I you, don't have any makeup on. Wow. Well, you don't need makeup. Oh, thank you. 25 years old, Nord Tajuri, journalist, public speaker, 
Um, and also she had a podcast called Sold in America Inside Our Nation's Sex Trade. Yeah, that's one of like three podcasts I've done, but that was the that was the one that I spent two years of my life working on. <laughs> and also, and we'll, we'll, we'll certainly get into that, she's also, um, uh, she posed not nude, because they don't do that oh, anymore, gosh. but she was in Playboy. Oh, gosh. As the first woman in a hijab <laughs> featured in Playboy. Did yeah. that cause a total ruckus? You know, okay. She wears a hijab. Did I'm I mention gonna that? I'm going to be super, th- this, is like a, this is like a podcast where I can be super real, right? Yeah. Keep I'm it be real. super real. A po- hijab, so, by the way, is, is uh, the Is thing. the scarf that, it's, like the Muslim head scarf. Yeah, but, but you okay. can see her face. It's not a, a burqa. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yes, I was profiled in Playboy magazine in 2016 for their first ever Renegades issue. So it was during the year they were doing no nudity anyway, and they profiled different people in different industries who were renegades. So for journalism, I was the one who was profiled. And it was just like an interview and a photograph, and it was really awesome. It's a great picture. Yeah, thank you. So it's so funny because I did an interview with a magazine today that also asked me about it, and then a third magazine in which one of their questions was, what is the one interview question you wish people would never ask you again? And it was anything related to Playboy because I think like the the reason that I did the interview was never with the intention of it like causing the disruption that it caused. It was more of bringing a story of a specific type of representation that had never been really welcomed in that space before. And so the interview in the story was for the people who typically read the magazine. And I, and I mean, you're also talking about a magazine that is is so famous for like profile pieces of Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Muhammad Ali, Tarana Burke just had her profile piece released. And so I've never me. heard Muhammad Ali pronounced the right way. Well, I've never heard. I mean, other than people that have that uh, accent, you you pronounced my last name the right way. You know, can I tell you like why that that's that's so special? I'm gonna tell you. This is like a gem for this podcast. I've never really shared this before. So, my name, my last name is spelled T A G O U R I, right? In Arabic, my name is Nur Tajuri, right? So you said Tajuri. And I don't know if I said it quite that way. I said Tajuri, but I didn't say Tajuri. There you go. You said it now. So anyway, people, I get, so so my family is Libyan and I get a lot of flack because they're like, why do you say Tagori? It's, it should be Tajuri or Tajori, if anything. But the thing is, when my dad immigrated here, my dad was also raised in Egypt and they pronounced their jaz ge. So when he came here and the way that they like spelled his last name was Taguri. Right. And so now I just say it's Nor Tagori because it's so much easier to say that. But like the real people who know how to say my name was was how you said it. Well, I must have heard it somewhere because I, I wouldn't have known from the spelling. So I think I heard. Really? You should just take credit. Just take well, the credit. Well, we also had an argument I don't like before you got here about how due. to pronounce it. Really? Well, I was wrong, apparently. No, I mean, I, but I'm wrong every day. So, so join Where the club. did you grow up? I grew up in Southern Maryland. I was born in West Virginia. I lived there for eight days. My mom and dad moved us to Alabama when I was eight days old. Oh my God. Yeah. I lived in Alabama for three years. So my first three years was in Alabama. Then I lived in Southern Maryland until I was 15 years old. And then my family moved us right outside of Washington, D.C. And is your mom originally from Libya as well? Yeah. So both of my... So my dad is actually... (laughs) My dad's half Tunisian, half Libyan, but, like, raised between Egypt and Libya. 
And my mom came here when she was 11 years old. So her her grandfather, my grandfather worked uh, for the UN and the World Bank. And so she was raised here. So my mom will always say like, She's American. Well, why do you anything. pronounce Libya that way? But I don't think Libya? you pronounce. I don't think you pronounce Morocco in any special way. Well, because Morocco, if you're going to pronounce it in Arabic, is Maghreb. It's not Morocco. Oh, I, I see. Yeah. So then people just wouldn't know that. But to me, it's like it's like one of those. It's not a pride thing. It's like you, if you know how to say words properly, I think that you should say them properly, right? I I would feel weird calling Muhammad Ali, like Muhammad Ali. You know. If you but know isn't how to that say he, how, how he said Muhammad that's Ali? That's true. That's true. But the Wait. name itself, yeah, you're right. You know, that's a good point. <laughs> I'm Muhammad Ali. He didn't say I'm, I'm Muhammad. Muhammad Ali. Yeah, you know. But I just, I would feel weird saying that, especially because it's a prophetic name. So, I don't know. It's such a weird, we have, like, people who speak Arabic and English or, like, are Muslim and, like, know how to pronounce the word specifically, you have this, like, internal battle and you're like... How do I say things right? So, like, I go back and forth between calling Libya, Libya, or Libya, because that's how it's pronounced. And it's like, okay, who are you doing this for the audience? Are you doing it for your, your community? Where do you find the balance? And then will people understand you? And I think, like, if you have an opportunity to talk about it and be like, oh, this is actually what, how it's pronounced, then th- there you go. But the same reason why, like, I say Morocco, Morocco, instead of in Maghreb. Okay, because we wouldn't know what the hell you were talking about. But I think it's nice for the general public to get educated on how things are actually pronounced. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's the same same way where, like, you know, when you have, like, a name that's harder to pronounce, and I have this conversation with a lot of my friends who have names that are, quote, not American, per se, and they're like, I want people, like... When they say their names to their coworkers or in meetings or whatever, they're like, can I just call you this for short? Because it's easier for me. And it's just like, why can't you take the time to learn how to say my name and like respect me the same? I don't say that to you. I don't say, can I just call you whatever for short? Well, all you have to do is walk into a nail salon. <laughs> and like all of those women, generally, who are in large part from various Asian countries, they're like, my name is Apple. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> I, I've had that conversation with people who are just like, my name is this, but like, you can call me this, or this is my American name, because it's easier. And I'm like, no, I want to call you like, what your name actually is. Well, lucky for us, Noor is easy enough to pronounce You would think, f- for right? Anybody. But everybody calls me, like growing up, everybody called me Nora. And I was just like, yeah, oh you know what, God. fine. It's like four letters. It rhymes with door. Like, it is so easy. And people still mess it up. So what was your, you wear the hijab. Yeah. And you are... Currently uh, anchoring on Newsy.com or, or, or no? Okay, no, no. We can cut that out. It's yeah, fine. let's totally cut that out. Haven't been with them for a while. Okay, so so what are you doing uh, from a broadcast point of view? Are you from just, a broadcast you... point of view? So I just last week released. I took over uh, the season three of Barney's podcast. So I'm I'm uh, doing eight episodes where I highlight eight different figures who are pushing our culture forward. So it's an incredible, incredible curated list. Last week was Tan France. This week is Elaine Welteroth. We're doing Diet Prada, Dapper Dan, Jillian Mercado, and then a couple of, like, three other surprise, very incredible surprise guests. Um, I have to confess I'm not familiar with most of those. Oh, well, they're all incredible people that you should be familiar with, and you can be familiar with them when you listen to the podcast. Okay, so you're not doing anything uh, uh, 
visually. So I am doing things visually, just not things I can talk about yet. Okay. Um, so we are working on a couple of really incredible projects, but but, but, under the, wraps but, but right now. what I'm getting to is that wearing the hijab uh, in public, which is what you have done in the past uh, on TV. Well, yeah, of course, I've been doing that for years now when I got my first job on television. And that was sort of, uh, as I understand it, that was a kind of a dream of yours. Yeah. Uh, to to bring the hijab into the mainstream to make it seem, of just, course, just ordinary. Yeah, well, I mean, I grew up and all I ever wanted to do was be Oprah, and I wanted to be on television, and I wanted to report, and that was li like I have all of this archival footage that I just was exposed to recently earlier this year that my parents had been taking of me since I was like six years old as a reporter, and because of like this extreme passion that I had for storytelling. Nobody in my family had ever even mentioned hijab. So hijab has to be a choice. You have to decide that this is what you want to do or this is what you want to wear. So my parents never really mentioned it because they were like, she wants to be on TV. And even then they were like, no one has ever worn this on TV, so she's never going to wear it. Your mother wears it. My mom, yeah, my mom actually wore it in Birmingham, Alabama wow. when I was two. And my, and my dad was like, uh, are you sure you want to do this here? And she did. And I actually interviewed my mom last year and asked her about that experience. And she was like, the first day I went out was a New Year's Eve party. And I had it half off because I just wanted people to think I was cold because I was so nervous about going out with this on. So, um, and then I asked her how she felt when I started putting it on. And she was like, uh, I thought she was going to be like, I was so proud of you. You were finding yourself, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I mean, I didn't really care. I didn't think you were going to keep it on. I was like proud of you and all of these other things. But that to me wasn't that, wasn't that serious. I would have been proud of you with or without it. And, but when I did decide to put it on, she, like her and my dad, both were very supportive in that I still wanted to accomplish this dream. And it had never happened on American television. And I'd never seen, I'd barely seen people with like dark hair and brown eyes on television, let alone somebody with a hijab on, unless it was like an Egyptian soap opera or like news misrepresenting Muslim women as they typically do and did. Um, so it was never something positive. It was never something that I saw. Um, but looking back now, like I realized that because I had it on, I mean, it forced me one to work way harder, um, in accomplishing this dream. So I started college when I was 16 and I kind of got this head start because I wanted so badly to, uh, to, to make this happen. And um, I worked really, really hard. I shadowed people. I interned. I got my first job at a newspaper, actually, a couple weeks after I started wearing the hijab. And, um, and oh, you want to hear a funny story? Hit it. Okay, I'm going to tell you. But do you want to hear it, too? Yes, of okay, course. Okay, I'm going to tell you. So I forgot about the first story that I ever reported on. And I got an email. I got an email yesterday, or actually two days ago. And it read... Um, Good evening, Noor. I had the privilege of hearing your story at Blank University. You had such a fantastic story, and I learned so much from you. Coming home from overseas as a soldier was tough. I tended to judge Muslims because that is what I was taught to do, and you opened my eyes to help me understand 99% of Muslims who are not radical. I think it's even more than that. Um, and then he asked about getting into journalism, and I was like, oh, my gosh, holy cow, like, that is so amazing. And then he asked me what the first story I ever did was. And I was like, I, I, I remembered my first video story. And then I had realized my first article I'd ever written was actually about an Iraq war veteran. 
And there she goes again, by the way, with her pronunciation. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to call that Iraq. Like, that just doesn't feel right to me because of how I've always heard it. But anyway, so it was really fascinating and, like, just so touching to me because I was like, wow, like, this is how you connect the dots with stories. So anyway, going back to making this happen, um, yeah, I mean, I like I put my head down and I worked and then I realized that the way that I tell stories, the way that I can build trust with communities and and find a way to truly connect with people and, and getting them to to open up about their truths and then elevate their truth uh, was actually rooted in, in my identity and being able to find a root of commonality consistently within everybody I was interviewing. What does the hijab mean to you? Are you wearing it because you feel it's a religious duty or at this point are you wearing it... It's a great question. ...because you wish to... You know, to 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 to, to raise to awareness. Raise it. Thank you, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Every now and again, Periel is helpful. I'm, we boss each other's balls. Don't worry, uh, it's all in fun. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so I. So it's actually like a super personal question, and it's a super personal decision. And I recently have started talking about how this the act of putting on the hijab as a woman, because there is technically a hijab for men too. It's just not as prominent. But when you put it on, it's such a personal choice and it's for such personal reasons. But people are so uh, up in arms about it and vocal about it and either offended by it or curious about it. And it's because it's so transparent. It's like I can walk anywhere and you will know that I am Muslim. I'm wearing my faith on my sleeve, right? Even though the decision to actually put this piece of cloth on was so personal and private. I think when I first put it on, it was because I was really trying to figure out who I was and... It was something that I had rejected for so long, but I saw the strength that it gave my mom. My younger sister had put it on before I did. And I saw the women in my family and how incredibly confident and strong they were. And I was like, what is it about this thing, right? So when I put it on, um, it was like this understanding of like, you are consistently living for something bigger than yourself. You realize that when you wake up and you go out and you chase this dream of yours or you are living in some type of service of your community, your others, whatever it is, that it's never like about you and what you have to say matters more than anything. And for me now, I think it's that constant reminder. And it's also like a reminder of what kind of leader I want to be. It's like I want to be somebody who has like a pure message with pure intentions. And I want you to know that I like care a lot about my faith but also that you can come and ask me whatever questions that you want about it and that it is truly such an empowering decision to make especially in a time now in which people reject it so much I mean you see the laws consistently in France like where right, I there I, was just a story the other yeah. day where yep. they almost well they, they tried ba- they to close down ho- pools because women were wearing like hijab but they don't want suits. any religious symbols okay I believe, in okay France. all right well but See, I don't want to get too into French stuff. Well, it's not about that, though. I think that that's not fair to say because it's it's there is such history. So I spoke in Paris four or five years ago, and I went on uh, a telev- one of their biggest shows. It was called Le Grand Journal on Canal Plus. Do you speak French? I like I used to a long okay. time ago. I don't anymore. My husband does. Um, I had an earpiece, so oh, okay. there was a translator. And I went on this show. I had no idea how big the show was. And I was doing kind of this press tour because I was accepting an award in in Paris. 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 And uh, I tweeted, like, hey, I'm going to be on Le Grand Journal. um, So if you're in a French-speaking country, tune in. And I had 
uh, one of the producers like come in and say, delete that tweet right now. Because we've never had a Muslim woman wearing a hijab on our television show. And if corporate finds out, they're going to pull the plug. Wow. Yeah. And I had heard so many horrific stories of what it's like to be a Muslim woman there wearing the hijab because there are laws against it. Um, and like stories that made me stick, sick to my stomach. And so when I had my speech to give, I ended up nixing what I wrote and pulled up a bunch of emails that women from France had sent to me over that year. And they were consistently the same message. And it was, hey, Noor, I'm really interested in being a journalist, but I can't do it in France wearing the hijab. Um, I'm thinking of moving out of the country to go pursue this dream. I'm going to go like learn a new language, move away from my family because I so badly want to do this and you've helped me believe in myself to be able to continue this. Or they would say like is it easier in America? Like it, w will there be opportunities for internships? It you it can they can say that it's about just no religious symbols, but everybody knows it's it's specifically geared towards Muslims. It's very common knowledge. What, what is about in the United States? What is your experience wearing it? Uh, just what, now, you lived where now? Do you? Live I lived in. I mean, I I grew up in Maryland. Okay. Well, in New York, I imagine it's not that big a deal. No, in New York, it's not. But I spend most of my time on the road anyway. I spend most of my time in in Middle America. Uh, so, what's your experience wearing that? And w do people say anything? Do they stare? Or, I don't know or? if it's not that big of a deal in New York. Actually, well, New York is a, a very multicultural place. It would be certainly less of a big deal here than it would be in Birmingham, Alabama. Right. Well, one yeah, would imagine. Or, one would imagine. Or as yeah. they call no, it, totally. Al Alabama. Right. <laughs> We're going to be consistent. Yeah. So, I mean, all right. I'll, I anyway. mean, touching on the France thing, I was in France two weeks ago, and when I was at the airport, I literally told I, I, I was at Cannes. And I told Adam, we need to get to the airport earlier because I know I'm going to have trouble at the airport because I wear the hijab. And like right on cue, I didn't buzz or alarm because I know how to navigate through airports and make sure nothing goes off and there's never a reason. And instead, I like not only did I get swabbed for everything, but I had the security agent put their hands in my pants, like a under female my security agent. Yes, in front of everybody. It was so humiliating. And I mean, but this is normal and I was so numb to it. And I like Adam, my husband was like so upset about it um, that he like pulled out his, he had already gone through security, pulled out his phone to try to record some of it. And I'm not joking, like maybe like seven agents like jumped on him, almost making him delete the video and almost took his phone away. And they were saying, we were like, can you, can, do you guys recognize that what you're doing is wrong? First of all, I had gotten asked to take this my scarf Charles off. This was Charles de Gaulle? No, this was a niece. Oh. But they asked it's the you same to thing. take your... Of course. Of course they do. It's like, they, it's France. They, they asked me to take my scarf off, and I said no, and that's why I had to go through everything. But then this is the catch, right? They say, if you're wearing a hijab, you have to get a full body pat down, which is not a pat down. It's very, very invasive. And to me, I'm like, you can check my hijab. You check my scarf because if what makes me different than everybody else is that I have a scarf on my head, then go ahead and touch it and feel it. But they're telling you, because you wear a scarf, I need to put my hands in your pants and under your shirt and your bra and every and other part. Like, it's so... But why are they asking you to take it off? Like, they want to see if anything's in yeah, there? Well, yes, of course. But but I do want to know about your experience but here in the United States. Okay, but so my experience here, I mean, I have TSA pre-clear and global entry. So I walk through, like I have a routine. I, I 
make sure I have a really big smile on my face. I walk through really confidently. I ask people about their day. You can never have a bad day at an airport if you're a Muslim woman wearing a hijab because you never know. And you, and most of the time here, I walk through and I'm fine. Typically, so, and I have to be very specific about when I book my flights because if it, the flight is too early or if the flight is too late, TSA is usually closed. And if TSA is usually closed, then you get that pat down and you get everything swiped for like bomb residue. I don't even know what they're testing for. And you get the whole nine yards, right? So I always try to make sure that my flights are during hours that I know TSA pre is going to be open. And then when I'm at a smaller airport, like I, I mean, I'm, I'm all over in whether it's like South Dakota or Nevada or Wisconsin or whatever it is. I would say maybe like one out of three times I get like randomly selected and then have to go through that whole thing. But I, I like when I went through the France experience recently, I like wrote an entire tweet and Instagram story breaking down. I didn't want to be like, oh, I just went through this whole thing or whatever. Like I get it. I'm, I'm numb to it. And I, it's like so unfortunate. I remember the first time we started traveling, my mom and I started wearing the hijab traveling while I was wearing the hijab. My mom was like, they're going to touch you. We just like, just let them do what they got to do and let's go. And I just remember thinking like, that's not okay. And, uh, and so I wrote down, I broke down every single step of like how I navigate through airports. And then I ended it with like, how would that make you feel? Well, and I got tens of like, I got thousands of responses from people about like humiliated, violated. I am a rape survivor and I would stop going to airports if I knew there was a chance that someone was going to do that to me. Like there, people don't understand that. And it's not like within, within the US that that happens to me all the time. If I didn't have TSA pre, it would happen a lot more often. But it's the fact that not only are you profiling people, right? But you're also perpetuating this notion of the... But, if you look a type of way, if you dress a type of way, if you have a disability, my friend who's a wheelchair user told me, like messaged me privately and was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you go through the same thing. If you have all of these things, everybody around watching, what are you telling them? You're telling them that these are the people you have to be afraid of. And you're giving more people, I don't care if you have to do whatever security, but you are feeding into the stereotype that already exists of people who are quote, different than what you're used well, to. Well, but what about those who might su suggest that when it comes to that very specific issue, i.e. aircraft security, mm -hmm. statistically, the, the issue has been with Muslims, you know, um, in that very specific area. I mean, if, I wouldn't worry about... Uh -huh. Well... That's okay. All right. Well... Well, I have... You know, Hatem, our friend Hatem, you know, we've talked to him, and he said, well, yeah, I would... I would want, for the no safety of everybody on board, you included, um, you would want okay. reasonable security. That's absolutely true. Absolutely. There should be reasonable security. But the way that security is done, I don't think is actually secure. I think it feeds more into profiling, racial profiling, and fear-mongering than anything else. There has to be a better way than to do it this way, first and foremost. Secondly... Most people who get pulled aside or who get harassed or who get touched at the airport, majority of them are women or trans people or people of color. So you are furthering this stigma of, of feeling in danger based on people or, and, and just violating people who like are not the ones that you are, quote, looking for. I, I want to know how many women who wear the hijab or people in wheelchairs or whatever who have gone through security, I want to know how many of them were actually people 
who right. were do, were who were carrying something or doing something. Also or seems positive. an unlikely place Completely. to put a bomb. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you're literally just giving me a head massage at that point. That's one thing. The other thing is no one is saying that there shouldn't be security. There absolutely should be security. But I also think that it's really important to note, and I'm pulling this out on my phone today because um, this is what I saw. There have been more arrests and death deaths in the United States caused by domestic terrorists than international terrorists in recent years. White extremism is the biggest form of terrorism in the United States. But what we fe- do we do we do the same thing in communities? The same thing that we do in terms of profiling to Muslims that we do to domestic terrorists? No, we don't. It feeds into. Well, I, the- I, I, I might counter if I had to counter with the fact that when it comes to aviation, we're not seeing white terrorism. So that might be the reason for extra scrutiny at airports. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily holds water, but I think that's an argument that could be made. So in that specific context, Mm -hmm. um, we've had terrorism coming from Muslims. In in other contexts, you quite rightly point out, we've had terrorism and or however you want to characterize it, violence coming from white people and oftentimes from white uh, supremacists. Mm -hmm. Just not in in an aviation context. But there still has to be a better way to... Yeah, I'm going to just disagree with you on that. There still has to be a better way to do it that doesn't... I mean, that isn't so... You're putting more Muslims in harm's way than than you are protecting people and keeping people secure based on the way that you're treating them. That there is, there has to be a better way, and there is. And we know that the way that security is handled um, is not is inefficient and just... Well, what about your day-to-day experiences, not at the airport, but just on the street, and in particular in smaller towns, in particular in Alabama, where you spent some time in terms of how people react to you? I mean, I was a baby in Alabama, so I don't remember any of that. Uh, well, they probably reacted by, by, as they usually react to babies. Just going, oh! Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I mean, overall, like, there isn't... I'm, like, a very... Every every experience is very individual, and that's why, like, when, when talking about stuff like this, I'm not going to be like, yeah, we all experience this and that. I have... Oh, I've I've always been fine. Like even in the Midwest, even when I'm alone, and if I ever feel uncomfortable, I call somebody, I text someone, I let them know where I am. Um, I mean, I've had times where I've gone to schools or I've gone to speak and stuff, and those those speaking engagements were threatened by violence by people who um, don't look like me, and and I would have to have police or security at the events and things like that. So those things happen. However. The majority of it is like if people stare, people stare. I don't really pay attention to it. I know people are curious. I would be curious too if I've never seen a Muslim woman. But what I do is if I do catch someone staring or if I think that someone is staring for too long, I'll walk over to them and I'll smile and I'll ask about their day. Like I just engage with people. That's also just the type of person I am. I don't think that people should have to do that. But you also have situations where uh, there were four years ago, Three Muslim young Muslims who I was acquainted with who were executed in their own homes by their neighbor. And four years later, he and two of them had gotten married the week before. And four years later, this is the first time because the police had constantly called it a parking dispute for the first time admitted that it was a hate crime after four years of traumatizing this community. And so the hate... That's a heinous story. It really is. I just want to say, though, that I don't think that it's fair that um, 
you should have to do that or that anybody should, no have, one should to have to do that. That would, you know, to feel like, imagine if you felt like you had, people were just staring at you and well, you had to smile and go Imagine feeling like you never could have a bad day. Well, I, I, but you have to be like, hi, how are you? Well, I, I mean, you can barely that, stand to talk to me. But I do agree that people are curious and that staring, though it might be impolite, is not inherently There's a difference racist. between staring and like scowling. Well, though. okay, there is a difference, but I don't think that Staring is necessarily means these are bad people, and I think you would agree with that. No, I it's do. It's not agree about with that. being bad people, though. It's a, it's about ignorance. I mean, and it's about also why. I mean, if I were walking in Japan, they might stare at me because right, and I, you might get sick of it. That I, feel well, like, I, I probably would, but I, I would. I don't think that I would hold it against them, and I don't think you do. I, don't I think you made that clear. I hold it against people either. I think, but I also recognize that, like, I'm. I'm naturally a very curious person. I love talking to strangers. My favorite thing to do is to talk to the person sitting next to me on my flights in the Midwest because the entire plane is only like people who are white and not Muslim. And it's and I've had Dan's the most least favorite thing to fascinating do. Fascinating conversations. Well, it's least favorite in most cases. If it's an attractive single woman, it might <laughs> it might be less uh, upsetting to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that's just how I naturally am. But I've had people like at my talk stand up ask a question in tears and being like I feel like I just can't ever have a bad day yeah because then it just feeds into the notion that as a Muslim woman who wears the hijab you're oppressed because your face looks sad one day and it's just like no dude we're normal people like it's so I, really I can't or I feel like we're talking about this for too long too like this is like it's such a it's like it's like you're always boiled down to that one aspect of your identity. We don't sit here and talk about and like question. And, and I recognize that there's like a sense of curiosity and, and we want to like learn and know more about people. And I think that a lot of times that means that we have to do our due diligence in talking to people who are actually a part of that community and experiences. The people who are staring and scowling and whatever, I can guarantee you. And I, the reason I can guarantee you is because I know some of those people their impressions and where they've learned about my community come from news outlets yeah. that hate our community. And therefore, you're not spending the time learning. And if you have such strong hate towards people, whether it's the Muslim community or any other community, but you haven't taken the time to actually get to know them and embed yourself within that, even if it's uncomfortable, but all you do is feed off of what you've been given from mainstream news outlets that are very known for, for fear-mongering and hate, then that's on you. That's ignorance, but, like, that's also your responsibility because you're carrying this hate. You're not only carrying this hate within your heart, but you're acting on the hate sometimes, whether it is giving somebody a scowl or pushing somebody. One time, my mom and I were walking through a pier, and this ginormous guy body-slammed her on purpose and stare like scowled at her and then walked away and it's just like my mom is literally a guidance counselor and the kindest soul on the entire face of the planet and i'm just like that's just that's just what happens like it happens and you recognize that they've probably never met a muslim before which is why i got why i shared the email that i just shared this guy literally told me that he was happy he heard my story because he was a soldier who was taught to hate me like is does that not make sense? That's that's my that's my point. This is a part of the problem. And we can't sit here and ask all of these questions and be like, yeah, but what if this? What if that? Does that really exist? I had a really long argument with somebody who's a family member who's not Muslim 
about experiences that I've gone through and that my community goes through. And their response was, I just don't think that happens. And like to hear the invalidation of your own experiences, which is similar to the way people are asking certain questions is so infuriating because how would you feel if I did that to you? Well, it obviously happens, but just as we don't want to judge Muslims by the by the actions of very few, totally. Uh, you know, the average American, I think. I am American. Yes, yes, I know. Um, but and and I include you in that. The average American is open-minded, and the average American, I don't think, has hatred in their hearts. I yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think that people. The, I mean, I I don't know what the average American feels about anything anymore because we're in a very weird state right now. Yeah, I mean, but I'm a little bit concerned about the average American, to be honest. Even if it's not hatred, it's like blissful ignorance. I don't think that I don't think the average person takes time to really get to know people because. And and here's why I'll tell you that because unless you are a part of a a marginalized community where you are forced to understand how society sees you and therefore have a natural sense of compassion to other communities because you know what that feels like. I don't think most people who have not had to go through that put themselves in a position where they have to get to know what that's like. I went to journalism school. All of my professors were older white men except for one person who taught journalism in the Middle East and North Africa. And None of my journalism professors ever taught me my key factor in the way that I report, which is going into a story and asking myself this question. How is the way that I cover this story, this community, or this person going to impact the community that we are talking about? And I ask that question because I see every single day how the way we are covered as a community has not only negatively impacted us, but put us in so much danger to the point where hate crimes are at an all-time high and people are getting murdered. Well, I think, I think that's right. I think that um, journalists should know what they're, you know, what, what, be familiar with the community that they're talking about. Yeah, but that doesn't really happen. And because uh, and, they never get it right. You know, I, I, people, and I see how journalists cover comedy, which is obviously. Sure, yeah. You know, well, I the, just see yeah. them getting everything wrong. If they're not familiar with the milieu. Well, I also feel like um, journalists, I mean, it's really lost a lot of its cre credibility in the past, um, I don't know, t 10 years maybe or so. Like it used to be that being a journalist was like you really had a lot of integrity and I don't know, it was like... A there are so many factors to that too though. Like there's obviously like immense budget cuts within newsrooms. And then you have a president who consistently calls uh, news and journalism the enemy of the people. And then on top of that, so couple that with the fact that there are immense budget cuts and, and, and journalists within newsrooms are so overworked and spread thin. And that fact-checking isn't as uh, integral of a process as you would hope well, it would the be. Journalists and are also they're selling a product and, 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 and they want, oftentimes they want it to be more sensational. They want it to be... More interesting and more well, scandalous. Well, yeah, because you're yeah, trying the, to get clicks, right? Yeah, the way, we've, we, the way that we consume media now is so different than it was before, you know, Facebook and Twitter and yeah. Instagram. I mean, you used to actually read a newspaper and take the time to do the research. Nora, and now it doesn't even matter. Nora, I want to know what you think about it. Something we were discussing before you sat down about the, uh, the Betsy Ross flag on the yeah. back of the sneakers. 
and we were—I assume you're familiar with that yep. issue. What were your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that uh, I disagree with Colin Kaepernick, and I disagree with Nike's decision. Um, the fact that uh, hate groups—some hate groups—might be using this flag uh, as a symbol. Uh, we shouldn't allow these groups to decide for America which symbols they shouldn't be able to co-opt our symbols. That's a symbol, a very long-standing patriotic symbol here in the United States, as you know. And and the fact that some hate groups are using it, we're giving them the power now to say that this is a symbol of hate. Uh, but by, by, but I didn't by, think by, it was about the hate. I didn't think about it was about the hate groups. I thought it was. Well, it's also about more of the it, what it represented in the time. Like you were talking about a flag that was used in a time where African Americans were put in who were, were slaves, and you're like using it as a way to celebrate and to if it's if, if it's if it's hurtful well, to a community because that's the that's what it triggers. Then why can't we right? Be I understand that? that, but you know it, it's it's symbolic of a time. It's it's symbolic. Just like George Washington himself, his image is on the $1 bill. Mm. He was president and a slave owner. And so... Maybe we should take uh, that People can make the same argument and say we should take him off the $1 bill. They could make that argument. And the Declaration of Independence was written at a time, 1776, when slavery was legal. Also, the French tricolor. Let's take that. Because um, we were talking about France earlier. Uh, there were there, there was slavery in French colonies. Mm. Uh, under, I assume under that flag. Actually, I, my French history is a little rusty. Um, but, you know, um, do we have to throw out every symbol of the United States? Is it throwing out the symbols of the United States or because of what the product was actually for? It was to celebrate July 4th, right? If I'm not mistaken, it was supposed yes, to be like yes. this patriotic Celebra celebration. That's so correct. why can't we celebrate in a way that... Is like why can't we progressive pick and else? is inclusive of the people? Like yeah, I, I. Why is it so important that we use that? It's not so important, but but should we should Nike then discontinue a product that was already about yeah, to come out? And maybe. people people love you that flag because people people love that flag because it represents slavery. Uh, no, it doesn't represent slavery. The Confederate flag can be said to represent slavery. Well, the Confederate flag. I mean, you know, with, I'll be honest. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. The Confederate flag does represent slavery. Yeah. The Confederate flag represents the Confederacy, and it's strongly associated with slavery, and, and it's offensive to many people, and, and I agree with that. So I don't see the Betsy Ross flag in that vein. So what I'll tell you what I thought when I first saw it. This was my train of thought, and this is like... This is how I started thinking about these things. Maybe Michael Che would like to... Or Seton. I don't know. Can we get somebody to speak about the Betsy Ross flag? Yeah, we should get Michael Che to do it. Well, I don't know if Michael, can you, Periel, can you ask one of our uh, friends here if they would be willing to discuss that? Well, but, but would anybody like to sit down and discuss? I'll tell you what I first thought. Okay, go ahead. So Don't shout it out. Go up there and, and ask. I'd be, be Seton or, you know, somebody. So when I first saw it, I was like, oh, interesting. If, if Colin Kaepernick is saying that this was offensive and Nike is taking it down, then we need to, I need, like, I want to understand more and I want to hear more. Um, I trust because of how vocal that he's always been. I trust that there is a reason. And I trust there is a reason for them to take it down. And when I read the reason of, like, why it was uh, offensive, 
I completely understood and I was like, wow, I never thought about it that way. And I'm so happy that this perspective was shared and I'm happy that they're doing something about this perspective and respect and, 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 and continuing the dialogue. I think it's more important that they're, they are taking a stand that they have this person who is consistently being a part of the, the way Nike is moving and that there is a sense of respect towards his what he has okay. to say in his message. He, he, well, he, we should certainly listen to his message, but he's one person, and, and he, he doesn't necessarily represent... Yeah, I think that there should be a... I think that the, it would be a great opportunity for there be, to be like a town hall or a bigger conversation. I would love to see when things like this happen, instead of it just happening, for there to be like live town halls and conversations where... Nike executives are there, Colin Kaepernick is there, and other people with different ways of thought, and they everybody shares it and so that it's a respectful conversation. Because if the point of it was to not offend a community, I think that the re- like I think everybody else who's not as familiar should be able to have the opportunity to be educated on all of this and to understand better. And I think like we should be able to facilitate those spaces. But I mean you're talking about Twitter and then Twitter explodes and people well, don't really have the conversations in the way that we should. I'm all about not wanting to offend a community. And one of my main, and we've discussed on this show, reasons for, for thinking the Confederate flag should not be flown is because it's, it hurts people. What? Yeah, of course. Obviously. Okay. But, but is there a limit to that? I mean, if somebody's offensive, are we allowed to ask the question, is that a reasonable response? Yeah. It, it, can one be offended in an unreasonable way? If you're way? asking that, if you're asking that to, like, I... I am, I'm not black, so I would not feel comfortable being like, this is the answer and this is why. I would want to sit down and listen. And I'd want to listen to people who are in that community and who have things to say about it and who can explain and educate. And I would want people to respect my my community in, in the same way in which if I were to tell you something was offensive, um, like for instance, I posted like an Instagram video about the new Aladdin movie and I shared like positive and negative thoughts on it and what things were really problematic about it. I would, and I had so many people message about um, like going in and watching it with a completely different view or sharing that they would have never thought about it that way and facilitating that conversation and making sure that like that people are listening with intention. And I would want that kind of respect across all of these situations. So. I would want to listen. I, I, I do feel that, you know, uh, we're edging toward the eventual, perhaps, replacement of Washington on the $1 bill, perhaps the dismantling of the Jefferson Memorial, but things of this nature. What's wrong with well, that? Well, like, I think, you're, you know, you can, I think at some point... I mean, point, I, I have never thought about it, but, like, I wouldn't be like, oh, my gosh, that's so offensive. I think at some point, you know, you're touching things that are very, very, very dear... <laughs> to most Americans and at some point you're going to get a reaction We're that you might not that you might though. not like. Well, you have to yes, well we have gotten a reaction and the reaction is a lot of people don't like that reaction. And if you don't want more but of he, those types but, of reactions, but, you might consider and I know you don't advocate necessarily for the dismantling of the Jefferson Memorial or the Washington Monument, but some people might. No, and I mean, I've spent so many nights, like, wandering. I lived down the street from those memorials. Like, I love uh, visiting them. However, I think it is a very privileged perspective to say 
you know, you're messing with something that's super dear and people are going to get upset. But you're talking about like hundreds of years where people were oppressed and s people are still oppressed. And we have, and people who are part, wait, yes. let me just finish. Okay. When people are part of these communities, they consistently have to make others feel comfortable, have to have to make themselves feel small, have to lessen the, have to question what they have to say because they don't want to upset someone. Why can't we respect others the same way people have consistently been respected? Well, we, I, I, we, we should respect everyone's opinion, but I'm saying if you don't want to provoke reactions that may be unpleasant, you have to respect, even if you disagree with it, people's love of certain symbols, people's, um, you know, how they feel about the Founding Fathers, how they feel about uh, certain symbols of America. And I think at some point, that. at some point... Book's question of all what happened? Well, nor is it, it, it disagrees with me, and as I expected. But we're talking about the Betsy Ross flag. Jessica Kirsten, just sit down. Hello, Jessica. Hi, how are you? How do you Hi. do? You, Hi. This is our dear friend, uh, Nora Tajuri. She's a comedy seller, uh, regular customer, I think. She yeah, said. we oh, come cool. on Fridays. Of do you know uh, Jessica's work? No, but can, I would love to. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm like, I can't, sit I can't sit here and be like, oh, I'm such a comedy fan. I come here to like decompress on Fridays when I'm in town. The end. <laughs> okay, oh, well, good. if you haven't yeah. seen Jessica, you might want to look into it. She's one of our favorites here. And, and anyway, so Nora Tajuri is a Muslim woman. She wears the hijab, as you can see. <laughs> and she's trying to, and effectively, I think with great, uh, greatly uh, succeeding at making, spreading the word that wearing hijab doesn't mean you're some but space alien. But that's not alien. my you're message. That's not my message. My message isn't about that. My message isn't about being a Muslim woman who wears the hijab. I never even talk about it. Even when I go and but, I but tour. But you're, you're saying that you're, 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 you're conveying the message that, whether you like it or not, that you're a regular person. Yeah, I'm a regular person. Well, but not everybody might be aware of that, as you've, as you've, yes. As you've said. Yes. Yes. But I'm, I, go I'm going to cut off here just so that I can do... Jessica's introduction. We don't need Jessica's introduction. No, she's on the show all the time. She's a great comic. Well, no, she's saying because I have a podcast coming out. That's okay, why. That's why I schlepped uh, okay, here. You, will you do it then? What's podcast? Well, it's you can do it. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well. Okay. Well, Dan, do you want? Do you want to do it? No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Hit it. So, first of all, Jessica Kerson's new podcast um, is called Relatively Sane, and. She appears in Robert De Niro's The Comedian and plays herself on Pete Holmes' HBO series Crashing and her one-hour special produced by Bill Burr, which I can't wait to see, Aww. will be released on Comedy Central in the fall of 2019. And she may be seen regularly, as we all know, at the Comedy Cellar. But will you talk a little bit about your new podcast? That's Yes, thank you so much. That was like an odd... No, I'm glad you did that because that is why. <laughs> no, I'm like that. He's very formal introductions. Well, it's good to have it. Well, I mean, it is good. It's professional. Thank you. Thank you. I think Dan wants to talk about the hijab more. No, but no, I no, need to talk about, about my career. Hijab for <laughs> well, we, I, I think even Nora is tired of talking about what we've been talking but you about. But you'll just keep pressing it. <laughs> no, I won't keep pressing. I just think that it's like I, uh, you know, no, I, I'll we, tell we, we're you getting a little this bit is of super real. I like. I do so much. I do so many cool things. And I think that I, I completely understand when people ask me about the hijab. But it's just like I feel like people just negate every all of my actual work. And I'm so, I think my thing is like, 
I I just like want people to actually pay attention like whether it's the documentaries or the podcast or like my family's foundation or those speeches or the work that I do even in my speeches like my speeches are not even about being Muslim my speeches are literally about breaking barriers through storytelling and being able to find roots of commonality with people and there's so many things that I do and yeah I, I wear the hijab and, and to me because I wear the hijab I am able to connect with people in a different way than you typically would but I don't like this thing doesn't define me and I think that a lot of times I am portrayed in a way that like they're like oh you are nor and you are hijab the end and I'm just like no like that's not how this well, works well fair enough but you know we only have an hour on this show we have so much to get to and we could we'd love to have you back to discuss those <laughs> things whether it be your your doc your 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 podcasting about uh, sex trafficking and any of other things we, you do we also um, uh, we, we're just we, trying to squeeze a lot into an hour so and so sometimes we don't get to everything Je Jess's new also, we want to talk about Jess's is, new a, is about uh, in large part about mental health. I think health. we should just keep talking about talking about it and never just talk about that's it. So Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I, I think was, that's yeah. great. It's actually better marketing. I think so too. Yeah. It's a like, oh yeah, so let's really see what this is about because they never got to it. <laughs> I was just telling Dan that one of your first guests is Gary Gullman on yes. your show. So I just saw his special. Yeah. And so we were talking about mental health. And so I feel like this yeah. is a good segue well, into... That's good. Well, I feel like, well, first of all, my mother's a therapist and I've been going to therapy since I'm eight years old. So, and I married a therapist and oh I went God. to school to be a therapist. Really? Stop. Yeah. So I'm like pretty, um, everything is but just... But now she's a my traveling clown. My mom's a clown. guidance counselor. Yes, I'm a traveling clown. <laughs> my mom's a guidance counselor. Oh, yeah? So our yeah. moms could be friends. Yeah, they could be. Well, my my mom, um, I just was thrown into therapy in, in Why were many you different into therapy ways. when you were eight? Because she tried to fix me. Like she did, you know, I was her client kind of. So my whole life. Um, wow. So I just, and I love talking to people and I love being a comic and being funny, but I'm just really, uh, and I'm not putting them, I'm just over all these pop comedy podcasts where everyone's just trying to be funny and screaming over each other and it's like I can't deal with it I can't even listen to them I like doing them sometimes but it's like unbearable so I wanted to do one where I interview comics and my family members so I have like I already did a couple with my mother awesome. I do one with my brother I'll do them with other people and it's just about it's funny but they're deep too yeah like they're very deep and um and I love interviewing people and talking so that it's not like it's funny, but it's also really interesting. And I've done Gaffigan and Sal from Impractical Jokers and Judy Gold and Nora, Chris are you DiStefano. a mental patient? I'm talking. And oh, Chris Stefano. <laughs> Dan, that was amazing what you just did. What I just did. Can, well, I was I literally in the middle of saying something. It's okay. I do it too. But that was that like a Jewish thing? Like I was literally in the middle of saying a sentence. Like it's not even like I took a breath. Fair enough. Noted. And and uh, because I do it too, but I think it's from our culture. I don't know. It's do not, you? I, I don't were you know. just bored with what I was saying? Like what? I, I just wanted to include Nor in the conversation. I've been here the whole time. Yeah, Nora's okay. Yeah, I'm That's, so okay. I'm she was so staring good. at me. I was so in tune with. What I know. You had I said. felt it. I know people very well. But Dan, how are is your there, family members reacting? Are they happy to like? Oh, they love it. They love, they love it. being a part of it. I have a very interesting family. I mean, I really do. Tell I us. have an older sister, and then my dad 
got remarried to a younger woman and they had two kids. So I have a half brother and a half sister. And then my mom got remarried to um, a man who's Zach Braff's father, the guy from Scrubs and Garden State. Okay. And they have four kids. There's four kids there. So it's like, I and I, I've been through so many things. Depression, anxiety, addiction, you know, family stuff. So I love talking to people about it. I've had a couple of people that I've interviewed already say, you've gotten me to say things I've never said mm. on a podcast or on an That's interview. That's the best thing people can say. Isn't I it? like make it a goal. You know who I got that, who I got to say that last week on my podcast? Dapper Dan. Really? Dapper Dan told me he'd mm. never shared that like a story before. Mm. And I was like, I almost cried. I think I may have cried internally. I know. It's a great feeling. It's it really best. is. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine I how can't Howard wait Stern to feels. Hear, oh, God. thank you. No, because he always gets people to say things they've never said. Right, Dan? That's true. <laughs> I just tried to include you <laughs> because you got quiet. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I was. I, w- I was reflecting on what you had said and and what I might have done wrong as an interviewer and as a podcast uh, host. Dan, I love you. Because you get in my head. Oh well, it's okay. You can get in your. It's good to get in your head sometimes and say maybe I should do things differently. I'm like a little I do nervous that every day. to listen to your podcast. Why? Um, like in a good way. It's, it's, I'm very loving with Pete. It's really, um, it's, it's, is it funny? Like if I were to interview Dan, which I will, I'm hoping he'll do it. Will you do he it, He will Dan? do it. He may be a little closed off as he often is. Okay. Uh, well, so you'll have to, you have to bring your A game if you want to get me to reveal well, that, which I don't typically reveal. Then we don't, don't have to do it because you just told me how to do it. Think, so, but oh. it's okay. No, I said you no. have to bring your A game, but which you well, no doubt will. I, yeah. And you have to bring your A game. Ooh, I don't know about that. All right. Then we can't do it. <laughs> well, I'm just saying I, I happen not to be. Uh, to, to like to reveal too much about myself. I know. I you know, know how you are. <coughs> uh, you're, Dan is such a sweet person. It's not it's nothing a, to do with you. I know. I know, th- I know just, you for 20 years. You know, I go up and say, listen to my act. Do, do I talk about me? I talk about bullshit. I talk about my cousin Sheila. Come That's me. my aunt's name. I know. It always yeah. freaks well, me out because I have an aunt Sheila. I have a joke about my uh, texting. I'm talking to Nora now. I have a joke about I say... Um, I sent a text by accident. We sometimes we text the wrong people. I texted, "Come over, I'm horny," to my cousin Sheila by accident. <laughs> do you actually did that? No, I did not do that. Oh. It's a joke, but it's a joke. And I said, and then so I apologized to her. I said, "Cousin Sheila, I'm sorry. That was meant for someone else. Sorry, you came all the way over here." So that's, <laughs> that's the joke. Anyway, the that's point. How is, was she? <laughs> well, no, she. <laughs> there is no cousin Sheila. I had fun with her. But oh, the no. point is, is that's a joke that has no reality to it. I do not have a cousin, Sheila. Well, Can it must I ask come a question? From something. It so comes from act, something. There's well, something. Are you attracted to uh, your cousin? Any cousin? So you're years not going to admit ago, this. Maybe. See? Years ago, it always maybe. comes from years somewhere. Ago, you maybe. wanted to fuck but your cousin. But little kids always. I never wanted to fuck her. Sh- I was too schema. young to know what fucking was when I was thought my cousin was cute. But anyway. I feel like you, <laughs> okay, you actually I reveal a, a lot. Nor has. I have a comedy question. Wow, I feel so honored that I get to ask you all this. Okay, so typically in sets. How how much if you can give me a percentage possibility whatever how much of it are how much of the how many of the stories are actually true? Well, that depends on the comedian. Some mine comedians are, mine are pretty much true, and if they're not, if they're even if a lot of times they're exaggerated, but they come of from course. a true, real place. Really, but that's just me. I'm very real <laughs> on like I'm like probably say too much <laughs> that I should never say. Is it say. therapeutic? Yes, for me. Wink face. I winked every day. <laughs> I, I came back full circle. <laughs> um, yeah, some comedians do. 
Uh, Gary Goleman in his recent special, I assume, was was very very real. Yes, but I, he wasn't for a long time. I mean, meaning like he didn't yeah, talk I feel like about you that must stuff have to like get time. to that point where right. you're comfortable enough to share that. Yeah, I mean, his recent special was. I was just telling you. I mean, it was really incredibly intense. Um, I mean, and well, profound, really. And, and then there are comics like David. Are you, are you familiar with David Tell, Nora? Well, he's a guy that's considered by many comics to be the most brilliant amongst yep. us. But nothing he says is real. Nothing he says really happened, I don't think. Right, it's just different why, styles. Wait, why would you say that it didn't happen? Well, because he talks about uh, the things he talks about. It couldn't possibly have happened. He talks about solving crimes with, with <laughs> you know, with a, with a one-eyed... Uh, okay, but is it, like, <laughs> is it difficult to find... Is it difficult to find the stories truly funny when they're not real? It's you harder. It's harder. It's much harder. It's harder. It's harder if they're not but real. But you're if saying it's that this was like impossibly not. Rachel, do you no want to join us for a second? Rachel, if you Rachel's, oh God, Rachel's my sister. <laughs> Rachel, 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 if you have a few minutes and want to join Rachel's us, we'd be like, happy to have you. Rachel, come on and we'll talk about our project. <laughs> Rachel Feinstein, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you Yay. all know is a regular at the Comedy Cellar. Uh, Hi. Rachel, I'm going to introduce you to our f new friend, Norta Jury, who Hello. is a journalist. Hey. Hello, it's so good to meet so you. Good I hope to these you. men haven't been too ignorant. First of all, there's I'm one sorry, man. There's just one, only one she's man referring at this table. to me because we're very close and she knows, <laughs> I just, I, she knows I'm a top. <laughs> That's um, so funny. I'm, sorry, I meant to only apologize for Natterman. Um, okay, thank you for apologizing. He's on my a behalf. little sensitive right now because I, I was teasing you. No, it's Rachel, nice he interrupted me, and then oh. I pointed it out, and he's been sulking a Let's little. Try but to it's talk okay. That's what happened last time when I was here. He said, "Let the men speak." Oh, I remember. I didn't say let the men speak. <laughs> I, I didn't say let God. the men. I didn't say let the men speak. I said let the man speak. <laughs> Because there's a big difference between let the man and let the men. There's an enormous speak. difference. There's yeah. an enormous difference because. You were interrupting somebody. I said, "Let the man speak." While he was, no, while he was assaulting her. Well, you said, Let him speak. Marina. Marina's here too. Let's Hi. all. This is Marina. We, we sit down. Well, this we is have. There been any women of color lately? It's okay. We have we're a woman all, of color. Yeah. Her name is Nora. I'm Nort not talking to you, Mr. Natterman. Sorry. You know I am Hi. inside. Nora is a Libyan American woman. I'm Nora. And I would regard her nice as a woman of. You're awesome. Color, I think. Should we all Marina, just do you want to sit do down? a drum circle? Anyway, uh, Rachel, we're running I out of time. I would do a drum circle with you. Me too. Okay, That's cool. My favorite. Rachel, we're running out of time, but Nor posed a question. The question was as follows. Uh, do, is it harder to make an audience laugh with a story that's obviously fake versus a story that's obviously real? And, do you, and in your act, do you talk about things that really happened or do you make shit up? I think it's obviously better, easier if it's real, because you remember it better, it feels more natural, and you can connect to it a little better. Well, yeah, but do you laugh at other comics when you know their stories aren't real? Like, is it harder to be like, that's so funny? Uh, I guess I, I guess I just assume they're telling the truth. I mean... Not David Tell, you know he ain't telling the truth. But I don't think it's exactly that he's lying. He's saying things that are supposed to be preposterous. That's different than lying than when you're saying something that's obviously exaggerated. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. Rachel, I, I see that. Rachel, well, Marina, and I are very similar in the way we that tell we, the truth. we tell we talk about personal stuff, and we're very we, we all. It's just our style. Hashtag but the truth. Three of us. Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> real bitch. <laughs> well, yeah, but it took me a long time to actually realize there were comics who do characters. Yeah. On stage, and that don't tell the truth and I realized it, it's just a new reality yeah. like I didn't know I thought we all were telling our truths up there but we're not the yikes but it wasn't obvious to you that David Tell never really uh, you know uh, had sex with a woman with an eye patch I have oh <laughs> I'm joking will you tell that story now 
<laughs> Fake or not? I mean, David Tell's obviously not telling the truth. Well, yeah. how do you know? So what, what do you mean? I'm saying it, 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 was ob- it should be obvious, to, I would imagine. Um, I feel like he may be embellishing. Yeah, maybe she had no eye. Like, I it's probably coming from something. As a maybe non-comic, he fucked her eye. I, I've seen you here, by the way. Uh, she's Aww. pointing to Marina. Yeah, I'm Marina, sorry. Thank you, Dan, Listener's for the advocate. Um, I, as a non-comic, like, have all, I've never thought that a, a comic's like stories were not true. I'm just like, wow. I because you know why? <laughs> Let me tell you why though. Cuz I think life out. Life is so exciting and I'm like every like everybody has really cool stories. So why not? And I I I would recognize that they're exaggerated, but I'm just like I can see that. That sounds about right. Well, and also yeah, it's just we're like we're all like I mean, Dan Dan, yours it's like your personality. You know what I'm yeah, saying? the Some personality people, comes through, but the stories are great, clearly not real. But it's okay. The, we're, but the three of us, like I would say, Marina, Rachel, and I are definitely some of the more we're in real touch comics with who, yeah. who talk about real life stuff, like relationships and family. And it's just okay, the, wait, the, I, the way we do it is different, right? The way we go at our truth may be different. Like I embellish, like not all parts of my story will be true. I make it, you know, more fun for the audience. And in real life, I've done that, actually. When I tell stories, I may say, like, look, I was sitting on the couch naked. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You had no shoes on, but you were... (laughs) Do you think, like, overall, there's a difference between how, like, women and men, like, if either of them either embellish more or make up stories or like do women just like share their gender no I don't either well not even yeah just like I don't know I think women just always have crazy stories well we do tend to tell more in the story that's the that's something that like the details the details like we'll we'll give information that's not I tell three stories within one story yeah, I mean, but that's also from a male's perspective. This is what they've said to me, that I've told them useless information. I don't know if I... I know, when I get up on that stage, I'm ready to get puss nasty. Take some <laughs> risks. Huh? Am I right? <laughs> what, Wait, when, what? You're, when you're right, Word you're right. Word up, motherfucker. <laughs> Have and you ever seen Rachel Noor? You've only, only amongst us, you've only seen uh, Marina. Yeah, only Marina. Well, uh, and I love the way. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> she's you. beautiful. Keep yeah. going about only Marie. I love the way you said. Well, my you name. came over here and you were like, "Have you guys had any people of color on this podcast?" And I'm like, "Pick me, pick me." Uh, no, I saw. I'd just be joshing. I'm just joshing. I'd be joshing Dan Adderman. Um, Marina, well, while we have you, uh, do you have any thoughts about um, the the Betsy Ross flag uh, sneaker controversy? Yes, tell us. Oh, I've not been watching the news. Is this? Well, okay. Colin Kaepernick didn't want. Or, oh uh, yes, the soccer player. No, 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 the, no, the, no. The shoe. <laughs> Can I give you the rundown? No. Yeah, no, I give her the rundown. I'm, a, I'm in journalist mode right now. I'm gonna I, give. I, I took a break from the news this week. Oh, and the Hamish. The Hamish. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Nike had a shoe, and the shoe was designed with the Betsy Ross flag. And Colin Kaepernick said that it was problematic because of the era that that flag was created in. And it's uh, just the time and what it represents because this was like a July 4th shoe and Nike pulled the shoe and people are so upset. So we had this whole debate on, on this episode right now on whether or not Nike should have pulled the shoe or not. I said that I respect the fact that Colin Kaepernick said what he said and that Nike pulled his shoe. Dan disagreed with me and said that they should keep the shoe. 
The Betsy Ross yeah, That's flag. the one with the 13 with stars the 13, in a 13 circle. 13 stars, oh, yeah. Okay. Which was a flag that was used in the 1776 era. Well, it's always good just to remind people of what things represent and how they affect people. So, yes, I would, if they pulled the shoe, good. Because I think we're living in a time where people are getting a, people are fighting for things they don't really feel passionate about. People don't really feel passionate about, about a that sneaker. sneaker. Yeah. They just feel passionate about feeling guilty for something they had no responsibility for. That's what they feel passionate about. So if you're that upset about Nike pulling a shoe, then... Kill yourself. Uh, kill you. Exactly. Well, we okay. should say it as a fun-loving no, grandma. No, I'm saying it. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. It, it's not Kill the, yourself with a sneaker. Preferably it's not the a, shoe. A it's balance I think sneaker. we need our therapist back on here. It's not the shoe. It's the, it's, the people don't care about what the shoe. What does the they flag care. represent? Is the it, flag, was it connected it's a, well, to race? Well, you know that like flag to, that's 13 stars in a circle. I know, but what is... What it was is, a flag to represent the United States of America, which at the time in which slavery was legal. But the flag does not represent slavery in any way. But, but for Colin Kaepernick, it, obviously there's more information here about that and that it represented a time. I mean, don't all flags? I mean, I don't know inf much information. I've always loved the Minneapolis flag. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, do you enjoy it? The Chicago I love flag. a Minneapolis flag and I love a Charleston flag. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one state flag that's I not a that's not rectangular. Hush puppies. <laughs> Chicago has the best flag, I think. Oh, Chicago's flag is plus nasty. And I wear it all the time. You know, that's my necklace. I wear it on stage. Right. Well, the it. Chicago. I love that necklace. I do think you're, I I I, uh, I think they should pull the shoe because it annoys a lot of people. I just didn't, you know, for like, no reason. I think, I think they should pull every shoe. <laughs> <laughs> and if that flag is upsetting and is offensive to certain people for a certain reason, then they can ask for it to be pulled. Absolutely. And it's Nike's choice, which is a well, multi-billion dollar but I mean, company. they're not losing anything. Well, they might gain publicity and it might help them, you know. What publicity? Just, well, right. the fact that everybody's talking about Nike Well, everybody's right been talking about Nike for the past two what days. What if there was something so that was, what if there was a flag that, that symbolized in some way um, the Holocaust to you? Yeah, would but, you? but it's I'm not asking a, you if, what, how you would well, feel about that. I would that. feel badly, but I don't, but uh, this is a flag that symbolized the Holocaust, whereas a flag that symbolized... Slavery? The time when there was slavery. A, a time... Right, but so if not there was a flag the in Germany that, itself. So if there was so a the flag from Germany that was during the time of the Holocaust, at the same time as the Holocaust. Well, that would be the the, uh, the swastika flag. But Obviously, you mentioned that, would be that hate groups were using it, right? I, uh, some hate groups have been using it, apparently. Okay. I'm just, you know what bothers me? That a lot of Jewish people aren't really understanding what's going on with other people that are being oppressed. It's really sickening to me lately. Well, but the thing is, but, okay, so to be fair, right? The reality is people don't care about things until it really affects them, mm -hmm. and that's the problem here. And the thing is, is that people don't, they're not honest about it. So, like, just say you don't get it. I, that, I said that I, earlier. I agree with you. Just well, say you don't, you don't have any feelings about well, that flag. No, I, I you, do you, have, I do you have feelings about the flag, but those feelings had, are positive. You immediately had a reaction. No, he has a f uh, positive feeling feelings are positive. This is a symbol of, of... Uh, the country at a time, the time of independence. No, I'm saying you had... Uh, but people a, didn't have independence. Immediate for who re can I just finish this thought? You had yes. immediate reaction to uh, a flag that represented a time of the Holocaust. I saw you physically. I saw everything about you change when she brought that up. But when we're talking about slavery, there's nothing there. And that's just... That's okay. Just... 
acknowledge it and know that it's there. Oh, you you can't. You don't. Well, obviously, have, I'm not going to be as upset about right. slavery as about. I agree with you there. Right. The question See, is, is does this so flag? I think everyone's different. But can right. I ask a question though? And this is like a general question when it comes to situations like this. Because of like Twitter culture overall and social media overall, when you feel a type of way, because, and this is the little recap, I said I when I saw that my immediate reaction, if I would have seen the Betsy Ross flag shoe, I wouldn't have thought much about it. But when I saw that Colin Kaepernick said something and that it was pulled and the reasons for what he said, I was like, wow, I'm glad that I learned that, and I wish more people would talk about that. When you have an immediate reaction to the flag that, like, we know that it, we know straight facts about it. We're not as familiar about the way that it's penetrated culture and what it truly represents. Are you doing that with, with all of everything that makes people react so aggressively and angrily? Are they actually doing research before they do that? Or do they just want something to be mad about all the time? Because the peop- because Colin Kaepernick saying what he said isn't because he just wants something to be mad all the time. It's because he directly felt something. And so instead, I don't think enough people are sitting down and listening with intention and are like, how can I actually learn from this rather than, oh, just another thing. But why do they do that? Because they've never had to feel uncomfortable. They've never had to feel that sense of oppression. When you were like, why can't we just admit like it doesn't affect me because I've never felt anything? What I was saying earlier was when you are part of a marginalized community... You see things complete overall. Typically, you see things from a different perspective. When you have been oppressed in any way by society or the way that you've been treated, you see that I do in agree all with that. other sub-communities. And so you have a sense of empathy because you want to know and you want to learn because you would want the same thing to happen to you, which is why when she said, when you said the thing about the Holocaust and the flag, you had that direct impact and that right. direct feeling but it's like, but have you overall in your lifespan, have you ever felt a sense of oppression or somebody wronging you or somebody or, or consistent like scrutiny because of who like you not are? Not once or twice, but consistent like I do as a gay person every day of my life. So it makes you think about of other sub-communities in a way. Yeah, exactly. I completely look at everything differently because of it. Well, as I said to you earlier, before we were joined by, by these other comics, um, you know, I listen. Yeah, I'm happy to listen to Colin Kaepernick, but he's one person, and so I would like to hear from more people of color about their feelings about this flag. I don't have the information, but do you think that? So, <laughs> but my question, my question is more <laughs> focused don't. on: sure. Do you think that because you have you already have an opinion? You heard what Colin Kaepernick said, but you have an opinion already. Shouldn't we wait to vocalize our opinions? by listening to people and also like you can have an opinion that's like rooted in, in, in your experience, but when it directly affects other people, I think we are more responsible to not share those opinions and just listen and learn rather than just be like, well, I'm upset about this when well, it hasn't directly. Well, affected you know, you. I, I would, I would agree with you. I, I would like to hear more opinions about, especially from people of color, how they feel about that flag. But I, I would also just, say that it would make me sad if certain symbols of the United States disappeared. And, and you know, um, and I mentioned the Washington Monument, I mentioned the Jefferson Memorial, and the Betsy Ross flag would fall into that category. It wouldn't... It, why, why are you giggling? Are you giggling? Rachel. <laughs> I'm sorry. No. I had a funny expression. It was my fault. And you okay. know what? It Can we lighten things up a little more for the for fuck's sake? It's well, always so heavy when I, I know, step but, over but, here but, to charge but, my phone. It's but like... Damn. <laughs> 
Well, Damn, yes, the Washington <laughs> Monument isn't going anywhere. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, who's taking away the well, Washington but, but, Monument? But, but no you could way. use the same logic to say <laughs> no. that the Washington Monument has to go. If you're you, no, no, Daniel, because settle Washington, the fuck Washington down was, and let wa- the women speak. <laughs> I, I, okay, well, I this, always this, do. This woman of color is leaving the table. You guys. Can okay, you know what? We were kind leaving? of. Been, I have to leave you. We were sort of out of time anyway. So I mean, we're sing, out of time a half hour ago. Single black female will be on sale on July 23rd. That's your. Uh, Rena Franklin. Yeah. Single black female. Don't bring any flags there. Just yikes. <laughs> you know. Okay, single black female on sale. Yeah, on online on any platform, you can go to marinafranklin.com and purchase it. It's called single black. Gotcha, single black female. <laughs> Everyone go out and I want to say that I love and accept everyone's truth here. Ooh. And Natterman. Yeah. I, I don't fully know what that means, but Natterman, I was only having I some did. fun with you, and I'm very fond of you as well. All right. As it's I okay. am of you, and I, I by the way, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm writing a, a novel. I, you're one of the characters based on you, Rachel. And oh, me. thank you. Oh, oh, oh man, that you. was a big surprise to that just was. drop casually. <laughs> did you know this? Ra- I did not, but I'm very aroused. Well, oh, it's me not too. Uh, I'm touching we, we myself. Don't, under we don't the have table. sex in the novel either. Uh, as, I felt uh, that in my vag, though. I did feel <laughs> a, a vag. vag murmur. Um, but anyway, uh, your new podcast about mental health. Yes, it's called Relatively Sane. It's coming out new, next Tuesday, and uh, it'll be on all places you can find podcasts. It's called Relatively Sane. That's Relatively Sane. Relatively speaking. Relative. And Rachel and I are making an album yes. of characters, of pr- prank calls. We're gonna Stop. Do, yeah. That's thrilling. Yeah. We're having oh. a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, we're going to do yeah, it. Yeah, I can we're, see it all over your face. <laughs> we are. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Rachel, do you have anything specifically besides the... the and we the also have some fun-loving videos on YouTube. If you like a fun-loving <laughs> laugh to lighten things up every oh once in a while. Yeah. Um, when you're not thinking about flags, think about the Yentas. Yeah, uh, they're called Yentas. We have yentas. Ha- wigs that are half on our heads, and we are two old Jewish women that walk around the city and do um, hitting cameras. You stuff. might have seen, and by we, the way. We have make reservations that? at restaurants sometimes a year and a half in advance <laughs> for a 4 p.m. <laughs> diner dinner. Oh, God. That's something we want to know if we can get table 11 <laughs> in 2024. <laughs> Oh At 3.45 p.m., actually. Yes. Let's be on the same Not side under the vent. <laughs> well, I, if Why I do got, I know that voice? Because you've I, been to Florida, maybe. You probably have seen me on stage, and you just... I used to be a house. Maybe that's why. You used to be a house? Yeah, she used it was to be a lot larger. bigger. She was bigger. <laughs> Jessica will also call hotel rooms and ask for things that she's left there, and it's so funny. she be like, oh. I was there uh, sometime <laughs> months ago, and I stayed on the... Uh, the floor had a, a two in it. Could have been two or Wait, twenty-two. Wait, do you might have left a corrective boot in I, the room? <laughs> I left a corrective boot, a, an heirloom bracelet that had a head. My great grandmother was a hairdresser, so it had a comb and hold on, a stop. soap, and, and I ha- left a half a pastrami sandwich. So you still have it. So could you call? Could you look at the lost and found? And they do. They go, uh, hold on. And they, they ask lost and found. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, do you do voiceovers for cartoons? Oh I've done them God. for bubble guppies. 
Bubble guppies? Yeah. I can't. That's so awesome. Yeah. I would. I could listen to that voice all day. Yeah. Well, Rachel and well, I... It's just when Jessica talks to the wall in the middle of her set, she'll turn around when the audience is annoying her and say <laughs> things to the wall, like weird admissions of things, and I don't want to start doing your act, but there's no more funny thing in the entire world. I and would cry. It's so You funny. would cry. I do yeah. cry. Well, you do if cry. you want to... Are you on tonight, Jessica? Yes. I. I yeah, I have v- a show the in, in five minutes around the Stop. corner. Okay. You, you can go Pussy with her guy. if you want. The VU, there's a, t- a friend's I'll table in the back. You, you I'll can, walk you over if you want to go and you're husband. Yeah, I want to go. I've okay, so we'll, we'll end with that. Do you, nor do you have anything you want to plug or promote? Or, or? Oh, I mean, well, you guys all have really fun things to promote. If you guys want to listen to Sold in America, Inside Our Nation Sex Trade, that's a great podcast. There's also a documentary on Hulu. And then if you want something lighter, the Barney's Podcast Season 3, you're going to meet eight incredible leaders pushing our culture forward. Okay, great. And as for me, uh, you can follow me on uh, whatever. On you can follow <laughs> us at Live from the Table on Instagram. On Instagram. And also, if you have any comments about the show, it's uh, podcast at comedycellar.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.